Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. I'm Jen Stevens. I'm a retired teacher, the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and I love nothing more than building community. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've spent my life helping others through my work in healthcare and as a volunteer for various organizations. We are friends who share a love of learning, problem solving, and bringing people together. Each week, join us as we share inspiring stories and bring you new ideas designed to help you live your best life. So now let's learn something new, get inspired and have some fun. everybody. We're so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. I'm so glad. I'm I wish like, it wasn't raining right now. Oh, it's not raining here, but I'm super overwhelmed because, oh my Lord, I have so much to do. We're moving things around. We're going to sell this big house. I talked about that last week. And um, you'd be closed on the condo. I'm getting everything moved over there, but I have to swap the kitchens completely. But we've got movers coming because it's like this chain reaction and it's the craziest move in the world. We're starting at the condo, moving something to the beach house to get some, a bed. And then we're going to the big house. We're going to swap some things around. Then we ha- we're going to drop things off at Will's house, then back to the beach house, then to the condo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so the guy called me today, confirmed me. He's like, let me give you all these addresses. Is this accurate? I'm like, yeah, that's accurate. And, you know, I think we may already have this big house sold because um, it's it's not really listed yet, but the realtor knows someone who's looking that used to have a house here. So fingers crossed, we're going to sell it furnished. So we're trying to move everything around. Like, what do we need here? Right. What do we want to keep? What do we don't need to keep? But today I went through the attics here. I put a lot in the attic, let me just tell you. Yeah. got a, The condo has an attic, which sounds crazy. So I am, oh, everybody nice. say a prayer. By now, it'll, by the time everybody listens, it will be over. It will have happened. But <laughs> say a prayer that everything I need to put in the attic will fit in that attic. I'm not sure how big it is. but Does the beach house have an attic? It does, but um, I've never been up in there. I guess. How do you get to it? Is up. it in the it, hallway? No, it's in the guest bedroom. Oh, okay. Yeah. In the yep. one I stay in? Yep. In the ceiling. Okay. It's in that guest bedroom. I feel like I'd seen a, an attic an opening. Access, I just couldn't yeah. remember where. It, I don't think it has drop down stairs. It's one of those oh. you have to like shimmy your way up in there. But yeah, the the beach condo actually has an attic, which was a huge selling point. But we have so much stuff, <sighs> like sentimental things. It's all like photo yeah. albums and pictures that were on the wall at our five thousand square foot house that we don't have any wall space for anymore. I mean, you know, just I, I'm talking about family photos and things mm-hmm. like that. So anyway. Hopefully, I can stash it all away, but we have so much to do. <laughs> well, I uh, I bought a new toy yesterday. What like, did you I'm buy? seriously the only woman, maybe, that gets excited about power tools. <laughs> I'm sure I bought not. I bought an electric pressure washer, and I've been washing my driveway and sidewalks and my landscape, like, blocks, whatever you call those. Um, I had no idea they were so filthy till I started washing oh, them. You saw the dirt coming off, yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, that's awesome. And so yeah, and then you know when you get started, you gotta like, I, like Eric was. It was his day off yesterday, and he helped me set it up. And then he was, I was like, well, I'm just gonna see if it works. And then he's like, okay, but we're not gonna work on this today. Like you can work on this later. And I said, okay, I'm just gonna do a few squares of the sidewalk. And then pretty soon I've washed all the little landscape blocks and he came out and he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I just have to finish this row. Once you start like, a project. I know. Yeah, I know. I get it. I could have sat out there all afternoon cleaning on it, though. Yeah. And um, 
I don't know why. I love doing projects that you see the results. Me too. Absolutely. Like when you when you can get done and you look around and you're like, oh, that looks so much better. That brings me so much satisfaction. Except laundry. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a um, exemplary customer service shout out uh, from Terry to Kobo. And I didn't know what this was. And then I realized... Is it Rakuten or Rakuten? I don't know how to say it. I yeah, it's like it. a it's like a book. Um, yeah, sort of like Kindle or something. Anyways, they sell some e-readers, and so she said, "For my birthday, I decided to treat myself a new e-reader from Kobo. I got the Ellipsa model, which also has note-taking ability. It's perfect as I like to read and take notes on what I'm reading. It also provides me the ability to keep a notepad for my blogging ideas." After having my Ellipsa for less than a month, Kobo advertised it at a discount of $50 off regular price. I contacted Kobo by email and they responded within hours. They offered me a $50 credit to their ebook store, which I happily accepted because who doesn't like getting free books? Thank you, Kobo. And on that note, I just want to give a little shout out. I had a Fight Camp subscription and a Fight Camp bag. I'd got it for my husband like two summers ago, and then he tore his biceps tendon, had up surgery, was out of commission, and just never has gained really good use of his hand. So he never used it. I sold it, transferred my subscription, or transferred my, anyway, transferred these little tracker things to the new person. What I didn't realize was that when I was not supposed to give him my code. Oh, So when I did, it reactivated my membership that I had canceled like last year. And I have been getting charged the last three months for it since I sold it to him. And I just noticed it on my credit card statement. And I reached out to them. I was like, please help. I sent them a little screenshot showing that I had sold it to this guy and whatever. And um, they did refund me back two of the three months that I got charged, which they absolutely didn't have to do. And I knew when I asked them to refund it, like it was like a 50-50 deal, but they did do it. So thank you, Fight Camp. That was nice. (laughs) So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, I want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that helps make it possible for us to bring you the podcast. So y'all know I'm a sunshine lover but I have worked really hard on my skin over the past two years to reverse sun damage from my youth. I want to enjoy the sun, but I don't want to age my skin or invite my dark spots to return. So I've talked before about the Dew Skin Tinted Moisturizer with SPF, but sometimes I want something a bit stronger, especially when I'm going to be working outside in the yard or I want sunscreen under my regular foundation because it's an open sunroof kind of day. I have started using the Countersun Daily Sheer Defense for face. It has a higher SPF than the Dew Skin and provides protection from UVA, UVB, and HEV blue light rays. It's lightweight, fast absorbing, and easy to blend formula is designed for all skin tones with no white cast. 
Antioxidants help protect skin from pollution, while chicory root extract supports skin's moisture barrier to lock in hydration. I simply apply it after my moisturizer and before my foundation, or I can even wear it without foundation, without any residue, unlike some other mineral sunscreens. I recently stocked up on this and their wonderful non-aerosol spray, the Countersun Tinted Mineral Sunscreen Mist in SPF 30. The tint helps camouflage imperfections and evens out your skin tone and gives you a natural looking glow. It comes in two shades and I am now ready for sunny days and fun times this summer knowing that I am applying a sunscreen that doesn't contain the two most common chemical sunscreens which are known endocrine disruptors and also unsafe for the ocean environment. It also doesn't make me break out like so many other sunscreen products on the market. So you can check out these great products and countless others at beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock. It's S-H-E-R-I-B-U-L-L-O-C-K. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we're going to discuss all things pelvic health. This is a topic that an estimated 65% of women feel uncomfortable discussing even with their doctors. Yet 80% of women will have a pelvic health condition at some point in their lives that will need to be addressed. Today, we are joined by Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, the first female physician in the United States to become board certified in urogynecology. She has specialized in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery for over 20 years. Her mission is to empower women through education about hormones, pelvic health, and women's wellness. Welcome, Dr. Betsy. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking to you guys about this. Well, you know, we've got lots and lots of questions from our listeners, so that's really great. We're going to dive into that in a minute. But before we get into that, um, what is the overall lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? You know, I think the overall lesson that I want to share with the listeners is that we need to just start talking. Yeah. You know, what you just using the words and, you know, like in that quote about 65% of women, they don't, can't even say the word vagina. Right. But the more we say the words, the more it just becomes normal. And, you know, we don't get worried about when we talk about elbows or yeah. like an ankle. So let's just normalize the conversation so that we can heal and live full lives. Do you know what's funny? I was at the chiropractor yesterday and I have a male chiropractor and he's like maybe 35 and um, I I love him. We talk about all the things, but he always asks me like, what's your topic of the podcast this week? Or what did you talk about last week or whatever? And um, so I told him what we were going to talk about. And his wife is an internal medicine doctor. And um, he said, you know, that's probably a really great topic. He said, I feel like in America today, he said, even with men, he's like, if you have a problem with things not working down there, he's like, they just suffer. They don't go talk to their doctor about it. And he said, I imagine women are the same way. And he said, but, and he made up, brought up a really good point. He said, I feel like the problem is we have made parts of our body dirty. Like you can't bring them up in discussion. You can't talk about them, but he's like, we all have these parts, like right. all women have the same parts and all men have the same parts. And he's like, it, it's no different than talking about you have a pain in your back, like, you know, or, you know, you have a headache. He's like, it's still part of your body. And I'm like, you are like, so right about that. So it's so funny. Cause I've normalized it so much in my house and I have teenage girls 
that when they both ended up getting their periods, nobody told me. And I, as a mom, I was so upset. I was like, why didn't you guys tell me? Like, this is a big deal. And they're like, no, it isn't, mom. We've been talking about this forever. <laughs> like, this is just normal. We knew exactly what to do. And I was like, oh, I actually did something good. Like, I normalized yeah. it to the point that it was no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because like years ago, you hear about women when they had their got their period the first time they would hide it because yeah. they were embarrassed or ashamed right. or, you know, but your daughters didn't talk about it because it was no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they also didn't tell you every time they pooped or went to the I know. Exactly. Because it's, it's bottle, no big deal. And everybody pooped. function. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, let's see. Do you want to just jump into the questions? And then we might cover a lot of topics while we answer the questions. I love anything that. we don't cover, like you can throw in or whatever. Does that, that sound would be great. I think that's great. All right. Well, I'll start with the first okay. question. And we're not going to use any names. I know some of you guys sent me your name or where you're from. These are all going to be anonymous. We're just going to keep these just anonymous, generic, because I feel like they could apply to anybody. And they so, probably will at some point mm-hmm. in our lives as we read them. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. The first one, the, she says, what can be used to make intercourse less painful after menopause? I am on bioidentical H, uh, hormone replacement therapy patch, but it isn't enough. Yes. So my doctor had me try the kind you insert, and that was so messy. And I worried about getting an infection because I didn't feel like I could clean the insert thingy very well. Do you have any suggestions? Oh, my God. I could do like hours just on that question. <laughs> so, yeah. So let me I'll tell you a little bit why it's so uncomfortable. So once we hit menopause, we start losing 30 percent of our estrogen every year that we're going into menopause. Or you're like me who had a hysterectomy and just had everything out and overnight, poof, gone estrogen. And so we need estrogen to make our skin elastic and stretchy. That's why after we go through menopause, everything starts sagging because we don't have that elasticity. So unfortunately, the vaginal tissue becomes very thin. It becomes very dry. It becomes very brittle and it cracks. I mean, a lot of women... um, you will complain that it feels like cut glass. And it's because it is really daggers, kind that's of... that's the word I used. Yeah. Daggers. I mean, yeah. like, it feels like you're being ripped open. And it is because that tissue is stretching and to the point where it can't stretch anymore and it cracks. So, all right. So we have that. Then what happens is you're getting those bioidentical hormones. And everyone's like, well, I'm on hormones. Why is it not working? Because the other thing that happens during menopause is if we don't get good blood flow to that tissue because of lack of estrogen, those blood vessels start to retract and they kind of disappear. So you could be taking all the hormones systemically, but it's not getting in your bloodstream to the tissue that's needed. Okay. So this is why a lot of times women are on bioidentical hormones or hormone replacement. And they're like, Hey, it's still not working in the vagina. And I'm like, yeah, you need to do something additional. And does that lack of blood flow also contribute to the friability of the tissue? Yeah. It's like I'm, thinking, I'm yes. thinking of people like with peripheral vascular disease with non-healing wounds and stuff. Right. Yes. Like, you got to have that blood flow to keep the tissue healthy in addition to the estrogen. Is that yeah. right? Okay. And it's it, an interesting fact. We'll bring this up since it's coming in May out in May is May is international masturbation May. And this is <laughs> Never actually heard of that one. I, I just found this out too. This is true, but actually sexual activity 
This is also catch-22. Sexual activity and masturbation will help to increase blood flow and keep those blood vessels healthy in the vaginal area. So that actually helps to keep things young. But it's hard because you don't want to do any of those things when things don't feel great. Right. But it's, you know, think of it as like kind of exercising your vagina or doing your physical therapy. But then we got to combine it with some other treatments. And there's so many options nowadays. It's crazy. So, yes, for years, all we had were the messy creams. And I know like oh, the, the cream, you know, you put the creams in at night and a lot of them are estrogen creams and then they melt and then you stand up and you're dripping all the next day. So yeah, I know they're messy in there. And they, a lot of times those packages come with one insert or maybe even five at the most. And you're having to use the same insert again and again. Um, it is, a, they all, those are options and those are prescriptions. Um, I will tell you one of the bad things that I found with the estrogen creams, a lot of them contain propylene glycol, which is a thickening agent, but it's also very irritating to mucosal membranes. So you have somebody that are, their vaginal tissue is already thin and now they're putting something that's an irritant on their tissue. So yeah, not the greatest thing in the world, but that was all that was available until like about 20 12-ish. And then we started to get some other prescriptions that came out on the market. So from a prescription, and I'm going to get into some other crazy things that are out there too, but from a prescription standpoint, you have estrogen creams. There is a new estrogen ovule that's a bioidentical ovule. So it's not as messy. It still goes in the vagina at night. It's just like kind of this little pill that goes in and melts. Um, the brand name is Invexi. That's an option. There is um, suppositories that are prescription that are called um, Intrarosa. That's a DHEA suppository. And DHEA is a precursor hormone that in your body will convert into estrogen and testosterone. And we have both receptors in the vagina. So that is great for the tissue down there. Uh, there's also an oral pill that some people can take, which was interesting. This pill was being studied to prevent breast cancer, and they found that it had nothing to do with, like, didn't have, it didn't have any activity on the breast, but this chemical they came up with actually triggers the receptors in the vagina to think there's estrogen there when there isn't. Oh, that's So um, that one's called Osfina. Um and then you get into the stuff that I get really excited about is all the regenerative therapies. And so, for example, lasers have been out since the 1980s to make our skin look good on our face. And then all of a sudden they decided, wait a minute, if it works really good at regenerating skin on the face, what happens if you laser down there? And in 2014, the first laser came out in the United States for vaginal rejuvenation. And it's kind of like the ultimate in biohacking. It just takes light energy and it penetrates the tissue and makes a very tiny microscopic hole in your tissue. And your body senses that as an injury and goes, oh, I got to heal myself. And it floods the area with growth factors. And it's those growth factors that make the vagina regrow like when you Oh, wow. like it was before hormones. And so then that just opened the floodgates because people were like, wait a minute, if lasers work, what are the other things that we can do that are in the regenerative therapy kind of realm that we kind of stole from the cosmetic industry? And then that now we have something called radio frequency, which is using sound waves to generate um, heat. And we know if we heat tissue to a certain point, it'll trigger regeneration of the tissue. 
And that helps with actually some, some women get like a loosening of the tissue down there. And that helps to tighten the tissue and helps with elasticity. There's using uh, platelet-rich plasma. It's where they actually take some of your own blood and they pull out the, the platelet-rich plasma and then they go and inject it into the vaginal tissue. And that has growth factors and will regenerate the tissue. Um, and then when COVID happened, so most of those treatments are things that have to be done by a practitioner. So then when COVID happened, people were like, well, wait a minute, we can't get to our doctors to have our vaginas lasered. So what are we going to do? And that actually opened an industry of home treatments. And so we started seeing products. Like uh, our good friend, Dr. Annika Becca has a product called Jolva Mm -hmm. that has some plant stem cells in it. It has a little bit of DHEA and that's a topical cream that can really rejuvenate the tissue. Um, We have companies like Joy Lux who actually make red light therapy and it's a, a wand. It almost looks like a vibrator, but it's a wand that produces red light. And we know when we expose tissue to red light, it actually is very anti aging. And so it will stimulate mitochondria and tissue regrowth. So you have that. And then finally, um, the one that's available over the counter, something called CO2 lift for the vagina. And um, in Europe, it was very popular to do something called carboxytherapy. It's where you inject carbon dioxide underneath the skin and it attracts oxygen. But it had to be done by injecting little needles And so the woman who founded the company that that makes this product, her name was Lana Kerr, she was like, I don't want to have my vagina injected with needles. There's got to be a way to do this in a topical gel. And she worked with scientists from Japan that made this carboxytherapy gels where it's put on the tissue and it triggers the body to flood the tissue with oxygen, which then gets the the cells to regrow. So yeah, so there's so many crazy different things. So that's all to regenerate the vagina. And then the other thing is some people are like, well, I'm like, I don't want to go through all that. Like maybe I just need some lubricants, like a, a lube. Well, what I tell people is really watch the lubes you're using because Here's something terrifying, something like KY jelly is not pH balanced for the vagina. It's not salt balanced for the vagina. In fact, it's very drying. It's almost like pouring salt on a slug. Oh my gosh. The tissue is just going to shrivel up. And that's what you, when you look under a microscope, the tissue will shrivel up. And so it's a great business model for them because you have to keep using more and more because the tissue gets drier and drier. Oh, wow. So then there's there's lubes like uh, Good Clean Love um, or Uber Lube, which have, so the science of lubricants have actually advanced so much that we know that we need to have lubes that are pH balanced, that support our microbiome, our healthy bacteria, and is salt balanced also for the vagina. So you want to look for ones that are are kind of in that realm. And those are the two that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. So let me back up to some of your suggestions. All these like regenerative uh, products. Yeah. Is anybody's insurance going to pay for this? No. Okay. You know, even unfortunately, I've seen over the years, even the prescriptions don't often get covered anymore. Like a lo- the only prescriptions I see are those messy creams. Like you those, know what? I bet the ones if this that they was, guarantee. I bet yeah. if this was a man problem, 
Yes. These yeah, would yeah. be covered by yeah. insurance. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, but that's yes. the way the world works. Yeah. Well, if it's a me problem, it becomes a man problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I always say. And that's what I say to women who are, are with men. I'm like, you know what? If the vagina's working, then it benefits them. So like, you yeah. know, it's a great Valentine's Day present, great birthday present. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, let's move on to All the right. next yeah, question. We got another question. So here's a question from a listener. It says, what about that less than fresh feeling or smell? I am a clean person. I shower before bed. But if my husband and I are intimate, when I wake up in the morning, I have a strong odor down there. I thought maybe I had BV. What does that stand for, Betsy? Bacterial vaginosis. That's what I thought, but I didn't think I was going to get all those word parts. Exactly. (laughs) And so my doctor gave me a gel to use for a week, but it has persisted since then. I've really only noticed this in the last year or two. I'm 50 perimenopausal, started hormone replacement therapy last fall, and I think perhaps it's gotten worse since I started that. No discharge, no itching, just a smell so bad that I can't stand myself, and I'm embarrassed to think that my hubby might smell like that the next morning as well. Is this normal? Is this something to worry about? You know, it's something that I've termed unbalanced vagina syndrome, and really what that odor is, is there's a, there's this unbalanced bacteria. Yeah. I was thinking it was like your gut microbiome. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, so, and in fact, actually I'm putting a course together called the uh, vagina refresh reboot where in two weeks we can help you like reset that, but it, very common also in menopause because when that, that tissue starts getting thin from the lack of estrogen, we actually end up starving our healthy bacteria to death. Because when we're young and our tissue in the the vagina is actively growing, when those cells are um, sloughing off because they're just kind of growing and pushing out the old cells, those old sloughed off cells contain something called glycogen, which is the food source for lactobacillus, which is our healthy bacterium. Um, What happens is now that tissue thins out, there's no food source for the lactobacillus, and then other bacteria start taking over. And many of those bacteria, the the fishy smell that people will complain about is when those bacteria open up, they release a chemical called amines. And amines, so whenever you smell fish, it's definitely bacteria. If it smells like bread, then that's usually yeast. But um, one of the best things that you can use for that is boric acid suppositories. I absolutely love boric acid. Um, it used to be I, years ago. I used to have them have it compounded by the pharmacy, and now you can buy it over the counter. I've I think, never even heard of that. Yeah, there's a company called PC Feminine Health. They are the first ones who brought it to the market. I absolutely love them, and honestly, it's something that you can use for a week. You can use it for like just here and there when when you're just not feeling quite fresh. So what it does is by balancing out the pH of the vagina, it kind of chases away the bad bacteria because healthy bacteria is very, very acidic. And why often happens after sex, this I haven't figured out, like why God or the universe, whatever you want to call it, like made us this way, but women's vaginas are very acidic. So like water, the pH of water is seven, Women's vaginas are supposed to be 3.5 to 4.5 on the pH scale. But semen is like 7 to 8 on the pH scale. That's so interesting. So incompatible. Um, yeah. So what often Maybe happens. it's got to get on out of there fast. 
asked. Yeah. A lot of times what happens is for women that have sex with men, and especially if the men ejaculates inside, it throws off that balance. So I have some clients where I'll just be like, hey, you know, after sex, pop in a boric acid to kind of combat what's going on. So you can kind of nip it in the bud. But uh, now the other thing is really interesting. This drives me crazy. There is tons of medical research out there showing that we could potentially be passing these bacteria back and forth between partners. Oh, However, even though there's tons of research out there, there is nothing in traditional medicine that says to treat the partner. Mm-hmm. And now don't freak out. A lot of people will be like, oh my God, is this sexually transmitted? No, it's kind of like like one person gets strep throat and then you kiss and the other person gets strep throat and then you kiss again and the other person gets the strep again. You're just passing the bacteria back and forth. And then Jin, what's interesting, what you brought up is about the gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. If the gut microbiome of is is off, that contributes to the vaginal microbiome being off too. So in women who are getting recurrent problems and it's not clearing up with these gels and medications, the vagina is just a symptom of a larger problem. And we really need to go look at the gut. Is there one specific like probiotic strain or something that is beneficial for a healthy vagina? You know what? There's They're finding out, no. We used to think it was just lactobacillus acidophilus, which most people have heard of, um, is common in yogurt. But they're finding out microbiome or probiotic diversity, just like in life. Right. The more diversity we have, the more successful we are as a, as a community. Same thing, the more diversity of bacteria we have in our guts, the healthier our guts are, the more types of bacteria we have in the vagina. But lactobacillus is a whole species tends to be the main one. Um, though a lot of the probiotics for women, I like they they carry they, they have more than one type of lactobacillus. And I'm not expecting anybody to remember these, but if you pick up one and it has multiple ones that you can't pronounce, like then that's better than if it just has one type of, of lactobacillus. So it's like usually they're like lactobacillus acidophilus or crispitus or rhamnosus ruteri or <laughs> Gasseri, like those are all the. So I'll say lactobacillus first, and I'll say something else afterwards. If you get a supplement that has a whole bunch of different ones, you're like, okay, that's going to be a better one to be taking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so somebody asked a question, and I had no idea what this was, and I had to look it up. She says, "Do products such as Elatone and Anovo work?" So for listeners who are like me, I don't know. The best I can explain this is if you're familiar with like Eastem or a Tens unit, it appears to be like sort of like that, and you put these patches on your pelvic region, and it's supposed to help strengthen your pelvic floor muscles. It seems a little bit like magic to me. <laughs> what does it there's, work? There's there, yeah, there well, especially with like Elatone has some research supporting it. Um the, the Elatone is a little bit on the large side. You know, that's another thing that has blossomed over the last couple of years or anything that strengthens the pelvic floor, like Kegel exercisers. Because what happens is as we age, we start losing like 8% of our muscle mass every decade. So by the time we hit our 70s, we could have muscle atrophy, meaning severe muscle weakness. And we think about going for a walk and we think about lifting weights, but nobody thinks about exercising their pelvis until all of a sudden they're having problems with maybe control of their bladder or their bowels or their gas or or things are starting to fall out of their body. So doing your pelvic exercise is definitely worthwhile. And and the problem is a majority of women don't do them properly. 
Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had somebody in the office. I'm like, okay, let's, let's do your Kegels. And instead of tightening and lifting, and that's what you want to think of, like think of like having a straw in your vagina and you're like trying to suck up fluid through a straw. So it's want to be, it's like a sucking and lifting up movement instead of a bearing down movement. So a lot of these different devices, and there's so many of them out there, um, kind of give you more feedback of how they're working. Some of them are just where they work with an app and you can see. And, and I have the Perry Fit. Yeah, they're the Perry Fit, the Perry Coach. Um, I have another company here that makes one that's pretty cheap that just has some like lights. Uh, there's a company called Plus One. Um, there's the Key Goal. There's the... LV, there's the, and then you get some of the other ones like the Elatone and, and some of the other ones who actually even have little metal plates on them that provide muscle stimulation. And so the muscle stimulation is more, if you're so incredibly weakened that the muscles don't have any tone to begin with, sometimes providing some like electrical stimulation to the muscles can get them kind of up. built up. But the other thing is it's definitely worth it to go see a pelvic physical therapist. Okay. It used to be very difficult to find them. And now you can pretty much we find them. We had a them. question about that. Someone said, yes. can pelvic PT be helpful? So you've already answered that. Oh, and let me tell you, in France, when a woman has a baby, they automatically get put into pelvic physical therapy for oh, recovery. Wow. Yeah. And France has a much lower rates of incontinence and prolapse than anywhere else in the wow. world. That's so they're yes. working on it from day one. After yes. That. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've got two questions that are very similar about um, menopause and I, hormone replacement. I therapy. think it's the same person. Is it the same yes. one? Okay. Uh-huh. It's either it's either two separate questions or one person together. So it's can you ask if um, bioidentical hormone replacement can restart menses after menopause? I went 14 months without a period at 47 on the younger side for menopause. And about six weeks after starting BHRT, I had a classic six-day period last month. Specifically, I'm now scheduled for a transvaginal ultrasound to make sure all is okay. Yeah, it's definitely the same person. But generally, I'm wondering how common it is to have menstruation pop back up after going into menopause and a full year plus without it. And I just want to pop in for my own experience right after you know, Tabitha Barber, who you know, Betsy, put me yeah. on um, BHRT after our Park City retreat in June and... I had a little bit of spotting and I was like, what? No, no. She's like, all right, we'll just increase your progesterone. And that took care of it. No more of that. But she's like, unless you mind. I'm like, oh no, I mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just like, you know, those hormones were there initially to, to, for you to have a cycle. And right. so one of the things that when you're cycling, when you're younger, why you end up bleeding is because the estrogen at the beginning of the month actually triggers the lining of the uterus to keep growing, growing, growing. And without progesterone, it would just keep growing and you'd end up bleeding. And then progesterone stabilizes it. And then right before you get your period, we have a drop in these hormones. And when you get that drop in the hormones, we usually get our periods. Um, So now you're going on bioidentical hormones and they could be having the same effect on the body where they could be stimulating the lining of the uterus to grow. And then if Sometimes you get bleeding because it's stimulating so much that that lining outgrows its blood supply and it grows, 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 and then just kind of sloughs off because it can't get supported anymore. So even though it is possible, any bleeding that happens after menopause needs to be checked out because it is also 
first of all, it could be the number one sign of a pregnancy, which can still happen, strangely enough. Um, you know, stranger things have happened, but even more importantly, it can be the first sign of something called endometrial hyperplasia or even cancer. Yeah. So, yes, unfortunately, you end up buying yourself an ultrasound and sometimes even a biopsy to make sure, sure things are okay. And then sometimes they just need to play with those hormones yeah. to get them in a better balance um, so that you're not getting those that that bleeding. So yeah, first yeah. call I made was Tabitha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we see that sometimes, too, when people are on birth control, they'll get, like, weird kind of wonky bleeding because of how their body's responding to the hormones. Even if they've been on something for a long time and then all of a sudden it happens, you just – you don't ever want to assume. You'd rather be safe than sorry. Right. Yeah. All right. So this person said, I am from Iceland and I live in Denmark. I had pelvic prolapse surgery in January Mm -hmm. as I had grade three rectocele and cystocele, uh, meaning front and back organs were given a facelift. Yes. My surgeon said I should be fine running after eight weeks, while a specialized gynecological physiotherapist was very skeptical that I should be running at all, ever. I keep hearing different stories, and I love my running. It is such a part of who I am, as well as light kettlebell exercise that have helped me stay in shape. I want to be and feel fit, but I feel foolish risking the results of surgery on one hand, but I also really miss my running and feel kind of frumpy and overly cautious not running and lifting weights. So would you say this is okay? And why are there such conflicting views and advice in this area? First of all, what I would say is quality of life is the most important thing. And so if running makes you happy, that is the most important thing that you should be doing. So then to follow that up with why are there conflicting answers? Because nobody really knows. It's kind of like we always tell people after surgery, well, don't lift anything heavier than 30 pounds for the rest of your life. And when I remember when I went through my training, I was like, okay, why do we say 30 pounds? Then no one's ever done a study. It just sounds good. So yeah. that's what we stick with. Now, so many things are like You know what that, my Betsy. thought would be? I would be like, you must not trust your surgical skills. So, but you know what the other problem is, is when we do these surgeries is none of them are considered permanent. And that's the toughest thing. It's not like, well, once you get your gallbladder out or your appendix, most of the time it doesn't grow back like it's done. This is a surgery that prolapse surgery is unfortunately one of those things where once you've had one surgery, you have a higher probability of having to have it again. Because whether it's genetics or whether it's lifestyle, your tissue has already shown that it has a propensity to rip and tear. Yeah. So I don't think you should live your life like freaked out because what's going to happen, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Like we're happy if people make it five years, 10 years. Um, I've had people that have followed exactly what they've supposed to do. And then they lifted like a turkey or something. And then next thing you know, the prolapse back is back. Um, I've had people who've lifted like 40 pounds of rice and are perfectly fine. You know, it's the same thing as like, sometimes you have somebody who gives birth to a five pound baby and their vagina is falling out. Yet you have a woman who's given birth to like multiple 10 pounders and everything's perfectly fine. Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason. So I think the biggest thing is, um, first of all, just do what do what makes you happy. Second of all, if you want to kind of decrease the risks, running on grass or soft um, surfaces is better than running on pavement because anytime you're running on pavement, it's that that 
impact that's causing the problem. Technically, I would have said wait six months for the running only because at six months, you're going to do all the healing that you're ever going to do okay. after an injury or a surgery. And so that's that's where you are. Um, so let me ask you this. Do they suggest like any therapy after surgery? Like if you had your rotator no. cuff fixed, exactly. you go to therapy. You know therapy after pelvic floor. They don't, but they should. Okay. They should. Physical therapy is actually the best thing because if your muscles are not strong, they're not going to be able to splint and hold that pressure. And so that's going to be even more pressure on the pelvis. And the other thing is I tell people if they lift, if they're lifting something heavy, don't hold your breath because when you hold your breath, the pressure's got to go someplace and sometimes that's towards your pelvis. And our pelvises are these just open holes to gravity. So there's no, you know, the only thing that's holding everything inside is our ligaments and muscles, there's no bones holding anything in there. So when you see like on TV, like weightlifters and they're lifting something heavy, they're blowing out as they're lifting because they're trying not to give themselves a hernia and prolapses are just a type of hernia. So if you're going to lift something heavy, blow out as you're lifting. Um, When it comes to weights, you actually can do lower weights at higher repetition. And man, I don't know about you, but I've done like bicep curls with one pound weights before and i'm like this is nothing we'll do it 50 times and next day you're like oh my god my arms are so sore i didn't feel like i was doing anything right so you know the lighter the weights the higher repetitions but honestly when it comes down to it just do what you know do what makes you happy and if it happens because you could be doing everything perfect and it could still happen yeah so yeah. you might as well do what you know, makes you happy. So, so yeah. mainly the rest of our questions have to do with um, incontinence, incontinence yeah. and urinary urgency. It's yep. funny yeah. how they came in. Oh, we had a lot of questions about pelvic floor. And then we had a, I just realized I did not even arrange this this way. This oh, is the way the questions funny. popped yeah. in. Yeah, this is flowing <laughs> very nicely. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. So Jen, I'll let you go in with that one about the urethra there. Where I hold on, I don't see which one you're talking about. Well, I'll just ask it. She says, if you've been diagnosed with a crushed urethra due to trauma, okay, can it ever heal? The doctor I've talked to has says no, and that there are no treatments for it. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Mm, I kind of wonder what the crush energy is from because I mean everything can heal, so it makes me wonder. It's, that's a question I would need a little bit more yeah, information. Information, yeah. though, I will say, all right. Unfortunately, when we, when we give birth and we give birth vaginally, um, nature doesn't care if our pelvis is perfectly fine afterwards. The goal of nature is to get the baby out. Right. So we can end up having like breakaway zones in our ligaments. So we often get tears in our ligaments, even if our va- vagina doesn't tear underneath we can get tears of the ligaments and once the ligaments have torn that's it we can get nerve damage from compression of a baby coming through and sometimes when you get crush nerve injuries it takes about two years to know if a nerve injury is going to come back and after two years whatever you're left with is what is what you're left with but i would have to kind of know exactly what the the this crush type of injury was to to give more information right. on yeah, that, that one yeah sense. All right, yeah. we have a question about urinary urgency. Yes, got to go, got to go. Yeah, perimenopausal, <laughs> 48 years old, three pregnancies, all C-sections, no previous history of incontinence, but she's had a struggle for the past six months with sudden urgency and spasms. 
making social life difficult, having to run to the toilet, wetting herself a little bit or a lot on occasion. Um, she's been at a stable weight for the past two years, um, and they've already eliminated bladder irritants and infection, but wants to know what could be causing this struggle and where does she go for help? Yeah. First of all, where to go is either find a urogynecologist or a urologist. Okay. So first of all, get that one out of the way. Then one of the things they're going to like make sure is that there's no underlying cause such as, like you said, infection, stones, tumors. Those are all the things that they want. They're going to want to try to figure out. And that can be done either through urine testing or sometimes even using a cystoscopy, which is a small camera that they put into the bladder and take a little peek around, which is actually you can get done in the office. Um, and they just make sure the inside the bladder looks okay. So let's say everything looks okay. And then we're talking, oh, maybe it's something called overactive bladder. Overactive bladder can start as young as in your 20s. But by the time we reach our 70s, there's more people walking around with overactive bladder at any given time than has the common cold. And so wow. this is the gotta go, like this is like, you know, that sudden urge and you can't hold it in. Um, they're not exactly sure why that happens. Some of the theories is it can be related to nerve irritation. We see it in diabetes. Um, it, but th- what happens is the bladder muscles spasm. And basically the bladder is telling you what to do instead of you telling the bladder. So tons of things that can be done. And this is another area where there are so many different options. When I first came out of training, there was only two medicines on the market. And I think now we're up to 10 medicines. But something easily, looking at the foods that you're eating, certain foods are bladder irritants. Unfortunately, coffee, uh, oranges, tomatoes, alcohol, and chocolate. So you're not going to have your nice Italian dinner with a glass of Chianti because (laughs) all of those are bladder irritants. And then... It goes against what a lot of people think, but they, they'll be like, well, I'm having this problem. I just won't drink water. Like they'll, they'll fluid restrict. Well, that actually has the opposite effect on the body because when you fluid restrict, you actually concentrate your urine. And when your urine's more concentrated, it's more irritating to the lining of the bladder. Oh, that makes So sense. there's going to be a delicate balance of like drinking enough until your urine is clear that it's going to be more soothing to the bladder. So you actually want to drink more water, but there, that's going to be a balance you have to figure out. And then you, there's something called bladder retraining. This is something also working with a pelvic floor physical therapist to help strengthen those muscles, those Kegel muscles, so that you, when you do get the urge to go, you can hold it in. But you can also do something called bladder retraining when at, at first it's tough and it takes practice, but when those urges come, you just you hold it. You hold it and see if you can hold it until it goes away. Obviously, do this when you're home by yourself, not you know in public. And then if it goes away, because that may just be in a bladder spasm, and then you say, oh, you know what? I'm still feeling full. Then you go to the bathroom on your own terms. And after a while, you can get the bladder to kind of start listening to you and you can get more control. Um, also, what that happens is anytime we give into the bladder, we actually shrink our bladder capacity. So... Jen, you'll love this one. Teachers have the largest bladder. Teachers and nurses have the largest bladder that capacity. That does not surprise me. I'm not surprised because we just have to hold it. We like absolutely. I have had teachers and nurses come in with like can holding up to two liters of wow. urine. So you think of a two liter bottle of soda where the average bladder is about 50 milliliters. So that's like a quarter 
We stretch those suckers. Yeah, as a quarter of a two liter bottle of, of soda. But so if we're constantly giving into that urge, you're actually going to shrink your bladder and you're not going to be able to hold it. So it just takes time to kind of stretch it back out and you can get it. You can get it that way. Then, like I said, there's 10 different medicines on the market. And then if that doesn't work, acupuncture is a great option. There's all there's also something called percutaneous tibial nerve stimulation, PTNS. Absolutely love it. It's a type of acupuncture, but a lot of insurances cover it. Now, here's a little hint. You have to have failed two medicines first before the insurances will cover it. So over the years, I've had patients who didn't want to take medicine. And I'm like, well, I'm going to give you this prescription. And you're going to come back and tell me if it works. I can't go home and see if you're taking the pill. But um, so you have to have failed two medicines before they'll let you do some of the advanced okay. therapies. But PTNS is you come in, they put a little acupuncture needle on your ankle, they hook it up to a little electrical stimulator, it just feels like a buzzing. And what it does is your ankle nerve is connected to your bladder nerve wow. through your leg. <laughs> so, and by stimulating that nerve, we can downregulate the nerves in the pelvis. And so it's usually like once a week for 12 weeks, and you have to go through the full 12 weeks to see if it works. And then if it works, then you just come in once a month, every six weeks for that treatment. Then to get even further, there's Botox in the bladder. And so Botox in the bladder always makes me laugh because patients are like, well, my bladder's wrinkly. Well, Botox doesn't get rid of wrinkles. It paralyzes muscle. So, you know, when we put it in our face, we're just trying to like relax those muscles so we can't wrinkle When we put it in the bladder, we don't paralyze the whole bladder, but we inject a little bit into the bladder to kind of weaken the bladder so it doesn't do those spasms. And what's nice about Botox is that's a twice a year treatment. They come into the office and they just kind of go in with a little scope and inject a little bit into the bladder and then you're good to go. And then, Oh gosh, that scares me. Why does that scare me? I'd be like afraid I'd lose all my bladder sensitivity. I'm yeah. glad you said how they did it because I'm sitting here thinking, like, do they do what? it transabdominally? Yeah, I I they put a little, little camera in through the urethra. They go into the bladder and take a little, 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 tiny, tiny little injection into scary. the back of the, the bladder. And then you're good for about six months. Wow. And then actually, the more you do it, the muscles actually start to atrophy so you don't have to get it done as often. So I've had people over the years where maybe they come in once a year for that treatment. Um, and then the most extreme is there are bladder pacemakers. There are little wires that this gets a lot, I know a little creepy for some people, but that they implant into the lower back and it sits near the nerves in the sacrum that control the bladder. And it just gives you the electrical stimulation all the time to get the bladder to work properly. And so, and then there's like a little battery pack that they put under the skin. So there's like a whole crazy range and they're, they're, they're always working on things for this. So, wow. yeah. So any, any from, you know, just learning to hold it in and stretching your bladder over time to becoming like a cyborg with like, you know, like bionic woman with your little bionic battery pack. bladder. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think you really just kind of answered the next question. And when I read this question, I actually thought of Jen and I, because Jen and I are the kind of people like we're going to go shopping or whatever. And we're both like, well, we're going to pee before we leave, you know, right? Yeah. Like we've told our kids all our lives. My lives. grandmother taught yes. me to do that. Right? She said, yes. Before we go, she said drain because she didn't do a Southern lady. <laughs> she didn't say pee. She's like, all right, go drain. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so she said, I take a diuretic that makes me pee a lot. I find yeah. I am peeing in anticipation of needing to pee, knowing I may not be in a conducive environment to do so when the need arises. Does anticipatory peeing cause problems? And I was like, oh, gosh, I do that. Me too. Is I that- mean- it's like, not a problem. Really do that? I mean, I you know I do it too before I leave the house because you're right. You don't know what kind of bathroom is going to be out there, and some of them are pretty nasty. So, but it's not something you want to get in the habit of doing all the time because over time, if you don't let that bladder fill up and like stretch out, you're going to decrease your bladder capacity because the bladder is just a muscular bag, mm-hmm. and so the more you let it like stretch out, the more you can hold. You know, going back to those teachers and nurses that can hold a two liter bottle of soda in their bladder, <laughs> you know, versus somebody who's going like sometimes I see people that go over all the time. They can hold like 100 cc's, which wow. is like maybe a, a cup, if that, you know. So, okay. well, I'm going to yeah. work on my bladder training now because I think my teacher skills, I grad, I mean, I um, yeah, graduated. <laughs> I retired mm. in 2018. You graduated to retirement. (laughs) Yeah, but I retired in 2018, so it's been a while since I've had to use those. This really makes me think, though, I'm the kind of person that I probably use the bathroom every 45 minutes. Is that too much? Eight times a day is considered normal, but it also depends on how much you're drinking. I drink a lot. Is like we should be drinking. The, The new recommendations, if you're looking for a number, is about 96 ounces a day which I don't get anywhere close to that. But um, and I'm always trying to force myself to, to do that. But really, I tell people, if you're drinking and your urine's clear, that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. You know, your first morning urine is always going to be dark because you haven't been drinking all night. Um, getting up once a night is considered normal, even though it's annoying. I get up zero times. I get uh, up two to three times. I, I've been lately, I've been getting up two to three times and I'm like, oh man. Like you know, really think, zero times? How unusual is it to get up zero times? Yeah. And you know what? As we get older, it gets more common to get up. But here's the thing, getting up at night, we need to look into that because it could be like, you know, I know with me, I end up going, oh shoot, I didn't drink enough fluids all day. And then like, five o'clock onwards, I'm trying to get all my water in. Well, you know, if that's the case, you just kind of cut off your, your water consumption and try to like focus on doing it more during earlier day and not as much at night. But the other things we have to worry about at night is sometimes getting up at night can be an underlying sign of another problem. It could be a sign of heart disease because when during the day our heart is pumping and maybe if it's not pumping efficiently, it's not pumping the blood to our kidneys the way it needs to be because we're, we're upright and it can't really get it to the kidneys to be filtered. So then when you're laying down at night, your, your heart's able to pump a little bit easier and now your kidneys are filtering it and you're making more urine at night. So oh. you want to make sure it's not an underlying heart disease. And the other thing we see very commonly is an underlying sleep disorder. And this is the one that everyone always fights me on. And it's, and I, I, I always try to tell them, okay, well, let's get you to a sleep study, you know, get you to a sleep doctor. And they're like, I don't have a sleep problem. And I'm like, well, sometimes you could be waking up, not because you have to pee, but because you're not getting into a deep enough sleep. And so that's where the sleep problem can come. And and, and everyone swears, you're like, no, 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 I'm waking up because I have to pee. And I'm like, all right, let's get you to a sleep doctor and see what happens. And a good number of times there's an underlying sleep apnea or snoring issue. And once they fix that, the sleeping, the getting up at night to pee is no longer a problem. So So, interesting. Yeah. This has been such a great discussion, Betsy. How can 
listeners find you and what will they get when they do find you? Yeah. So biggest thing is follow me on social media. I try to do some like education information and a little goofy on Instagram and TikTok so that you can find me um, anywhere there. I also have the Pelvic Floor Store, which uh, I sell a lot of the products that I've talked about because I, I realized with my patients, I needed a centralized place to send them to get a lot of right. these pro- products because sometimes it was hard to find them. So I made the Pelvic Floor Store. And I'm in the process of starting a uh, website called Femversity, where we will offer classes to both women and health practitioners to learn how to deal with some of these things. And our our first class is going to be the Vagina Refresh Reboot. So, and we'll be adding to that. So, yeah. Well, okay, well, great. I just looked you up and followed you on Instagram. So oh. if you're listening, she's doc- Dr. Betsy Greenleaf. Underscore um, on Instagram. Underscore. It's oh, my yes, second one. I got kicked off. Oh, apparently. No. Gosh. And, oh, it, gosh. and I forgot to say the most important thing is we have a free summit coming out this summer called the Happy Vagina Rally. Awesome. So if you go to happyvrally.com, that we're, we got like 40-something speakers, and you're all talking about all things pelvic health and women's health and hormones. And yeah, Fabulous. forgot about that. That's the most important one. Well, thank you for awesome. sharing thank that. You. And we will send people to that. And I, I hope that they'll take a look. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Brant. He has a really fun idea to keep in mind when donating food to a food pantry. He wrote, Want to share some joy? Make a birthday cake kit for the food pantry. Include cake mix, icing, candles, and wrap it up in a disposable pan. That is a great idea. Yeah. They included a picture with it. Oh. And it's like they just put it all in a aluminum pan and then saran wrapped it so it was all intact. Because honestly, I could see, you know, that would be a need that people might have. They're going to the food pantry that need to make right. a birthday cake. I mean, I don't know. They'd have to have eggs and oil, but yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I could see that would be a really a relief if you had a child that had a birthday and you were struggling. At the end of each show, we love to share motivational quotes from listeners. And today we have a quote from Audrey Hepburn. The quote is, nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. Uh, the listener wrote, I love this quote. I have this quote on the wall in my yoga room. To me, it means that truly nothing is impossible. So long as you always keep trying, never give up. This quote continues to be my reminder in all aspects of my life, both personal and professional, and even while I'm struggling with a yoga pose. Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to have you join us in the private Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter. Your membership ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews really do help us reach new listeners. We're a community-driven podcast, and here's how you can be a part of our show each week. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com 
or use the link in show notes and then listen each week to hear your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.